you, choir. Amen? Amen. Yeah, thank you. He indeed is worthy. Today we are going to be looking at Palm Sunday, the entry of Christ into Jerusalem. And I titled this sermon today, The Lowly Entry. And I'll explain why in a moment, but just know that this was not a triumphal entry as we think at the time. It was a lowly entry. So let us pray and then let us dive into the Word of God together. Father, we do thank you that you are worthy. We thank you that we can sing praises to your name and glorify and lift high the name of Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will be with us this morning. That as we see who Jesus is and what your kingdom is in our lives, may we be changed and transformed. May we have a renewed passion for you. May we have a renewed sense of who you are in our lives. We pray that you'll be with us, that you will speak through me. Holy Spirit, illuminate the word of God. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, when I was uh, church planting the, uh, the church at the University of Pittsburgh and hanging out with a lot of college students, one of the things that we often did, which even Pastor Mike is doing now with the CCO, is we, we would go to campus and we would serve coffee and tea and hot chocolate to the students. And it was a great opportunity as they would walk past us and we'd have discussion and they'd be going on to their final or going to their class. We would hand them coffee and have really good conversations with them. Many times students would come and ask us why we're doing it. And I just, I love those moments of interacting with strangers, new students, people that that didn't know who we were and we were able to talk about our church and our ministry. Well, we got to the point where we were serving 15 gallons of coffee in a three-hour span, and also five gallons of hot water, which would be used for tea and hot chocolate. And there was this one day, I remember, we would do this, it was like clockwork. On Thursday morning, we would go, we would brew the coffee, uh, the, the worship pastor and I, his name was Joseph, and we would brew the coffee every morning, and we would take this cart, and we'd put all of the, the hot water and coffee on one cart, because, you know, we're men, and we got to get it all done in one shot. And so we put this, these giant things of, of five-gallon jugs on this cart. And it it never had a problem before, but, you know, as sidewalks grow and sidewalks change and weather beats up sidewalks, the cracks begin to to show in the sidewalk. And and we'd done this so often that I had neglected to see that there was a new crack in the sidewalk. And so I'm coming up the ramp, and I'm excited. We're going to hang out with college students, and we're going to have conversations with them. And I turn the corner, and I hit the crack. And 20 gallons just spills everywhere. Yeah, 15 gallons of coffee, hot water everywhere. And students anticipated us being there every Thursday. So they knew the time, they knew the rhythm, and we had to go and rebrew all that coffee. It took a long time. And I share that story because, you know, I just didn't have situational awareness. 
There are times in our lives where we just are keep going through life and we're just moving through life and we expect everything to flow the way that has flowed before or we expect things to be the way that we want them to be or whatever it might be and we go through life and we miss certain things because we didn't have the correct situational awareness. Well, the, the Jews in this story, it's the same for them. They didn't have the right situational awareness to know what was actually happening when Jesus came into Jerusalem. They had an anticipation of what they wanted. They had an understanding of what they felt the Messiah was going to be. But Jesus was a king that was different. Jesus wasn't the king that they were anticipating. Jesus was not the king that they wanted. And I think we too can come to this place of misunderstanding who Jesus is in our lives. We can, whether we've walked with Jesus for uh, our, our whole life basically, or whether we're new believers, sometimes we can miss who Jesus really is in our life. What type of king is Jesus? And I share with you this because the king we want isn't always the king that we need. We might want a king that is going to just do everything for us, that he's going to just make everything good and everything better, and he's going to just make us happy. And that's the kind of king that we want. But the king that we want isn't always the king that we need. Many times, I would even go as far as to say, many times the king that we want is not the king that we need. And this happened with these Jews as, in Jerusalem as Jesus was entering. The king that they wanted, the king that they hoped for, wasn't the king that Jesus was. And so I want us to ask a question as we approach these passages in Scripture. And the question is this, what does the lowly entry teach us about Christ and his kingdom? What does this lowly entry, rather than the triumphal that we usually think of, because we know where Jesus is going, we know why there's triumph in this. But Mark points out this lowliness, that Jesus was a lowly servant, a lowly king that you and I might not necessarily want. And definitely the Jews did not want. So what does this lowly entry teach us about Christ and his kingdom? I'm going to look at four different passages of scripture as we approach this, uh, this portion of scripture in Mark chapter 11. But first I'm going to read Zechariah 9.9 9, and then Matthew 11.29. Zechariah 9.9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Mark 11 1 through 11. This is the main passage that we are going to be unpacking this morning. It says this, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage, at Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, 
and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And finally, 1 Peter 2, 24 states this. He himself, that's Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, as we are going to be digging into the story from the book of Mark, let me share with you just a little bit about Mark. Mark was writing to Gentile Christians, and it's the fast-paced gospel. It's the shortest one. It's the gospel that just continues chronologically really quickly. In fact, one of Mark's favorite words is the word immediately. Even in these, these 11 passages, he says it twice. Immediately this happened. Immediately you'll see this. Immediately Jesus left. Immediately, immediately. It's a fast-paced story. But when Mark pauses and, and highlights something for a lengthy amount of time, we need to p- take pause and see what is Mark trying to say to his particular audience. And I believe the first thing that we can see from this is that Jesus is a king of spiritual power. Jesus is a king of spiritual power. These Jews were looking for an earthly power. They were looking for a king that would come and take Rome by the hair or by the neck and throw them out so that the Jews could be free of oppression And so that was their view. This was an earthly king that was coming. But Mark shows us and the Gentile believers and all those who read the gospel of Mark that Jesus is a king of spiritual authority. Jesus in these seven verses, before we get to his his entry, humbly displays his spiritual power. Why do I say that? Well, the first seven verses... In an 11-verse portion of the triumphal entry, or like we're calling it, the lowly entry, Mark focuses on two things. Jesus' prophetic power and a donkey. Two things that are important for Mark to capture for his Gentile believers. Because the other Gospels, they focus on the Zechariah 9-9 passage, where they say, this is fulfilling the prophecy from Zechariah. But Mark, because he's talking to Gentile believers, doesn't highlight particularly that portion of Scripture because it would kind of go over their heads. But he shares this moment with his two disciples where he says, go and you will find a colt tied and you must take it. He's never sat, no one has ever sat upon this donkey, but I will sit upon this donkey. Bring the donkey to me. And as you're untying the colt, If anybody asks you why you're doing it, just share that the Lord has need of this donkey. Now, it's interesting that Jesus knows what's going on. And in a moment, I'll share in the context that Jesus didn't set this up. This was not a pre-organized event. 
He knew where the donkey was going to be because of his spiritual authority and his spiritual power. This was not something where he went to those neighbors and said, hey, uh, can I borrow your donkey that no one has ever sat on before so that I can go into Jerusalem? This was a moment that Jesus knew everything that was going to happen and he's sharing with his disciples, listen, I have spiritual authority. I have foreknowledge. I have a prophetic power. This is not something that you're anticipating. This is not a kingship that you disciples are wanting. It's something different. There's humility involved. There's lowliness involved. So go and do this thing. Well, how do we know that it wasn't pre-set up with someone? Well, Jesus says, if somebody asks you why you're doing this, say to them, the Lord has need. Jesus knew that people would question why these people are coming to grab it. If Jesus had pre-set this up, he would say, I'm sending two disciples and they're going to grab a donkey. They would not have been surprised by these two people untying this donkey. But they were. Like, why are you taking this donkey? And they said, well, the Lord has need of it. They replied what Jesus had said. Donald English says it this way, the way the cult is obtained has hints of Jesus' unusual knowledge and power. And he continues, the man who rides the donkey is more than an ordinary man, though the crowds do not yet know this. Only the the disciples are privileged to see it, if even they can. We know that the disciples themselves even didn't fully capture this moment of spiritual authority, of spiritual prophetic power. They were still looking for the king who would take Rome by the neck and destroy their their occupation in Jerusalem, in Israel. So they even then, they missed this point because Jesus later, as we'll see on Thursday, was having a conversation with them and saying, I'm going to die. Just like you know that I had prophetic power about that donkey, in my life there's an even more serious issue that I'm telling you about, I will die. And even then they didn't get it. Even then the disciples didn't understand what was going on. They misunderstood Jesus' words. But Jesus is a king that has spiritual authority. As we look to Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we must recognize it's not just about here and now. It's not just about this plane of earthly living. You and I, when we receive Christ, receive the spiritual authority, the power that, that rested upon Jesus. And so as we approach this, this time, let us remember that Jesus had spiritual power. It was not just earthly power. He takes, Mark does, seven verses to explain this, to show what Jesus knew would happen and would transpire. Now, the the disciples themselves do teach us something. They're not totally fallible, right? There's a moment of, of, of a glimpse of following Jesus' directions. I don't know if this would sound strange to you, but Jesus, the Messiah, that they know is the king, even though they don't fully understand it, he's telling them, hey, I want you to go steal a donkey. Essentially, that's what he's saying because they didn't know that he was taking it. Now you say, well, the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not steal, right? He knew that it wasn't really stolen, that God had preordained those people to recognize that this is something that needed to happen. And he said, immediately after it will happen, I will send it back. And so you must be thinking these disciples are probably confused. Why would he tell us to do something that's antithetical to the word of God? This doesn't make any sense. 
But we know that Jesus follows the Ten Commandments. We know that Jesus is holy. We know that Jesus knows the Word of God. So clearly, something else must be going on in this situation. And they obeyed. Sometimes when God calls us to do something, it doesn't make much sense. He will never call us to do anything against the Word of God. That's not what I'm saying is happening. The disciples didn't have the forethought or the authority to understand what was really happening. Jesus, the the Father, had already preordained this moment. So it wasn't really theft, but it was probably confusing for them. And many times you and I, when we hear from the Lord, when the Lord calls us to something, we're probably confused. But we, like the disciples, need to obey Christ, even if his instructions don't make sense. Even if his instructions do not make sense, we must follow through and obey Christ. One of the marks of the follower of Christ is obedience. We must follow Christ in obedience. Sometimes it won't make sense, but we need to follow. We might not think that he's really doing what he says he's doing, but we need to follow. You see, the disciples in the crowd didn't fully see who Jesus was because of what they were trying to see. Not only did they miss the spiritual authority that Jesus had, but they also didn't recognize that Jesus is a king of peace and humility. Jesus is a king of peace and humility. As Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, they were shouting, Hosanna! They were in a sense of worshiping him. It appeared that they understood who he was, that they were connecting with Zechariah 9.9, that they saw this lowly king coming in, but they didn't catch the lowliness. They were thinking that he was coming as a triumphal entry, a victorious rule of a king, that he's going to begin standing on the throne and sitting on the throne of David. The kingdom is going to come again. But that's not what Jesus was saying Jesus is a king of peace and humility. They had been looking at scripture with a pair of glasses to fit their longing rather than looking at the scripture the way it was intended. They wanted a king who would come and rule and reign and take over the world. And Jesus, when he comes again, will do that. Amen? But they were putting it into this one moment and missing what Jesus was really trying to say. He was coming as a lowly king, one who would serve, one who would love, not one of war. You see, they probably had this anticipation because of of a Roman tradition. When a a Caesar or a, a prominent soldier would win a war or win a battle, when he would drive into Rome, there would be chariots and there would be fanfare and there would be loudness and there would be this sense of, wow, this guy, is, he saved us from these, these terrible brutes that were trying to take over Rome. But this king, this soldier, he annihilated them all. So he would ride in on a giant war horse and there would be chariots behind him and they would celebrate and they would shout and they'd throw roses at him. And this was a triumphal moment and they would celebrate for days this king. And so I think the Jews were trying to do the same thing. But as Mark is focusing on the donkey, as he's focusing seven verses on the donkey to his Gentile audience, I think the Gentile audience was probably giggling a little bit about the response of the people. Because they're like, what? He didn't do anything yet. This guy's just riding in on a donkey. He's not riding on a war horse. He doesn't have a host of soldiers behind him. 
why in the world would this donkey thing be a thing for these Jews? Why would they be throwing their cloaks and these palm branches? The Gentiles would probably be anticipating, what is Mark going to say next? Because this really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The Roman tradition wasn't like that. Where's the war horse? Why is there so much fanfare? Mark was trying to highlight that Jesus was humble and peaceful. He wasn't coming to bring war. He was coming to bring peace. Peace for those who would receive him and accept him. Where you and I can be made right with the Lord again. He was going to have a battle, but it wasn't going to be on this earth. He was going to defeat Satan's sin and death. And so he celebrated. Even though they didn't understand, they celebrated rightly. Because he is a king who would save. Kostenberger says two associations with the donkey were dominant in first century Palestine. Humility and peace. And the Greek word for Hosanna here means to save or to help. And so they, they might not have recognized the symbolism of the donkey, but there was a sense within them that they knew that something was happening, that something important, that Jesus was important. Now some people say the same people that, that worship Jesus on Palm Sunday cru said crucify on the next Sunday. We don't really know if that's true or not. It's just something that people like to say. But there was this sense of anticipation that Jesus was coming to do something. That Jesus, a prophet that was well known, was coming to do something. But there's also Passover. This time of Passover was happening. And we remember that Passover was a time of salvation. That God had saved the Jews from Egypt. That the, the spirit of death passed over the Jewish homes. And so anything that would look somewhat like salvation... They couldn't control themselves. They were so excited. They were in the revelry of looking forward to Passover. So they had this anticipation and excitement, but they were blinded by their own view of who Jesus would be. They were looking for salvation in the wrong way. They may have shouted Hosanna, but it wasn't because they understood his identity and purpose. Jesus is a king who gets down on his knees and lovingly washes our feet even though we don't deserve it. The epitome of, of servant leadership was Jesus, is Jesus. And they missed this peace and humility. One of my favorite statements about Jesus is this, that Jesus reigns with the heart of a servant and serves with the heart of a king. He serves with the heart of a king. That is my king. Donald English makes an interesting point. He says, the crowd shouted all the right things, especially save now but seem more to have been in the celebratory mood of traditional festivals than to be entering into a deeper understanding of this important event. Like I said, anything that hinted to a king got them excited, and they missed the fullness. They missed the kingdom of God that Jesus was trying to display to them. The kingdom of God is not one of selfishness, it's one of selflessness, because Jesus' kingdom is one where we seek to serve, not to be served. Jesus' display of, of peace and humility points to this reality. Points to this reality. I want to share with you also, probably the one most important thing that, that I can leave with you today, and that's this. Jesus is a burden-bearing Jesus is a burden-bearing king. 
A donkey was a burden-bearing animal. You would put your load of everything upon the donkey's back. You would ride your horse because the horse was for people and the donkey mostly was for the loads, was for the burdens that that you didn't want to put on your horse. Jesus rides on this donkey to display that he is a burden-bearing king. He desires to bear our burdens. Jesus was showing the type of king he is, one who bears our burdens. He even says, put my yoke upon you. Let me take these burdens. I'm a lowly king who takes the burdens of his people. And I share this with you because I know that you and I are in times of burden. We are in times of frustration, times of pain. Last year, I had to do this this service online. And we hoped that things would change by Easter, but they did not. There are burdens of the loss of your job. There are burdens of loss of financial security. There are burdens of not understanding what's going to happen in the future. But we have a king who will bear your burdens. There might be sins or turmoil in your life that you just continue to try and work out on your own. But Jesus desires for you and for me to put our burdens upon him. We need to come to a place where we lay our burdens down and give them back to the only king who can bear them. So we talk about who Jesus is, but what is the kingdom? The kingdom is important for us to grasp what kind of kingdom was Jesus trying to bring, and I believe it's an eternal kingdom. A kingdom mindset looks beyond the temporal and sees the eternal. Looks beyond the temporal and sees the eternal. Jesus was doing something for eternity, not just a temporal moment of conquering Rome. It was something important, something more than, something powerful that was going on. But the people missed it. They didn't understand what the kingdom of God was supposed to be. But my friends, the kingdom of God is eternal. Too often we can focus on the temporal. We can focus on the here and now and we forget that the kingdom that Jesus set up, that he was beginning to walk towards the cross and through his death and resurrection, the kingdom that he was setting up is an eternal one where you and I can be right with the Lord, where you and I can step into the presence of God, where that division was broken. And that you and I can have the Holy Spirit now as a down payment of heaven to live this earth bringing the kingdom of God with us. To transform those who are around us. To transform the world itself and the culture itself around us. And when our eyes are on the kingdom, not our own selfish kingdom, we will seek to build the kingdom of God alongside the true king. We will want to serve him. We will want to do his will. Because when we are close to him and close to his heart, his desires become our desires. His passion becomes our passion. His kingdom is one that we get excited about serving in. A kingdom mindset is one that looks beyond the temporal and looks to the eternal. And so the last point is this. Seek to build Jesus' kingdom not your own. Seek to build Jesus' kingdom and not 
your own. When we focus on the temporal and we don't focus on the eternal, we miss what God is doing. We have a situational awareness that is off base. And I think many of those times where we are focusing too much on the temporal, it is because we are trying to bear our own burdens alone. We focus on ourselves and our pain and our anxiety and our frustration. But as I said before, Jesus desires to take your burdens away. We cannot bear our burdens alone. It's impossible. But too often we try. And God gave us community for a purpose, for a reason. Where we can share our burdens with our brother or sister. And they can walk alongside of us. Because we are Jesus to this world. Filled with the same spirit that filled Jesus You and I are to take the yoke of Christ upon us and lay all of our burdens down upon him. We've got to stop trying to do it on our own. As we approach Good Friday and Easter, may we seek to see the true King, Jesus, as he is. May we seek to view the true King as he is. And may we lay down our burdens upon him. May we see and and recognize that he is a king who desires to serve us, to love us, to walk alongside of us. And that the power of Good Friday and the resurrection, the beauty of those two things, make it possible for us to cast everything upon him. And so I challenge you today, as we finish with worship, If there are burdens that you've been holding, give them over to the king. If there are burdens that you've been trying to do and bear on your own, have an open hand and give them over to the Lord. And if you feel so moved by that, if there's something that's in you that you just say, I need to lay it down, you can feel free to come to the altar. Or if you need to just do it personally in your own seat, do that as well. But let me remind you that you cannot bear your own burdens alone. You have a king who wants to serve you, to love you, to take your burdens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our hearts can be so heavy because we try to do things on our own. You came as a lowly king, a king who seeks to serve, seeks to love. You're humble, and you want to bring peace to our hearts. One of the ways we receive your peace is by laying down our burdens. And I pray that we will pray that we will. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts now about the burdens that maybe we are holding too tightly, that are weighing us down, that are driving us to depression, 
May we hand them over today. In your name.